Have you ever had a question and wanted to know clearly what the Bible has to say about it? Well, in this podcast, Bible Answers for Today's Christians, we will learn together what God's Word really says. Welcome back to another episode of Bible Answers for Today's Christians. Gentlemen, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, tonight's topic is the important topic of um, why King James? Um, why do we only have the King James? Uh, why don't we use other versions of the Bible? There are many versions of the Bible out there, uh, but why is the King James important? And uh, tonight, uh, hopefully we can open up your eyes and just kind of give you some information on uh, why we believe only the King James. So, Brother Brandon, why don't you get us started tonight? All right, so King James is, is uh, one of the subjects I really enjoy studying. Um, as a Christian, uh, I take pride uh, and a lot of diligence in knowing what I believe. I, I, I just don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to somebody walk up to me and say, hey, why do you do that? I want to have, I want to have an answer. Uh, right. And uh, one of the important things in my Christian life is knowing that the Word of God that I read is true. And uh, there are some very important things that we take from the Bible and how we apply it to our life. And if what we're reading is wrong, then, uh, then as a Christian, we don't have much to stand on. So I just, I really enjoy uh, just the study of King James. And I want to start off with some uh, history of uh, the actual man. We, we call it the King James translation. But uh, there's a man by the name of James Charles Stewart. And uh, that is the man that authorized the King James translation. So I'd like to get into some of the things that happened in his life. And I'm telling you, what a crazy, crazy life King James had. So let's start off with, uh, uh, he was born on uh, June 19th of 1566. So uh, way back in the day, he was born there. And... Uh, Immediately, uh, he was born into some kind of crazy circumstances. So uh, his mom was six months pregnant, and his dad, actually, and some other people murdered his mom, Queen Elizabeth, her secretary, in front of her uh, when he was, she was just six months pregnant with him. Um, well, uh, there was uh, some... Uh, things going on in, in their marriage, and she ended up having a promiscuous uh, relationship with another man, and uh, they ended up uh, actually conspiring to kill King James' dad, and uh, so uh, he actually died, uh, King James' dad died when he was about uh, a year old. As a result, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, I'm sorry, Queen Mary was actually removed from her throne, and uh, they, she was found guilty of conspiring and, and, and murdering her husband. So she was removed from her throne. She was actually put in prison. Uh, we'll get back to her a little later. Some more interesting stuff with her. But uh, one-year-old uh, is not quite ready to lead a kingdom. Um, and, and you might think uh, one-year-old is a little young. Well, actually, Queen Mary herself was queen uh, at one week old. So some crazy stuff in her life, too. Kind of a uh, we're talking about Scotland here too. So she was Queen of Scotland. King James became King of Scotland. Of course, he wasn't able to uh, lead in the throne. So he had some other people that stood up and uh, kind of uh, led the the country because uh, he just wasn't capable of. So uh, he became uh, King of Scotland uh, in uh, nineteen. Uh, I'm sorry, fifteen sixty seven. Um, and so, uh, she was removed from her, uh, her, her, and she was actually in prison. She actually escaped Queen Mary we're talking about. She escaped and she actually led an army to try and take the kingdom back. Uh, but that failed, uh, against the army of Scotland. And so she was defeated and then she, she ran, was, uh, exiled. I forget exactly where she went. So, uh, kind of crazy there. Uh, so... We have um, uh, young King James. Uh, people were around him looking at this little baby and saying, well, I should be king. So he actually had 
several assassination attempts on his life. As a young child, uh, even growing up, uh, he, he had several times had to flee for his life, fleeing from a building and just running uh, to try and get to safety. People trying to kill him. So there was a lot of uh, drama uh, going on around his life. Um, and uh, it's just one thing after the other happened. Uh, he actually, uh, at an early age, because he was king, was uh, had access to some really uh, good education. So it, there were some people that were put over him, uh, and they're labeled as Protestants. So they kind of uh, led him in that direction. But he actually, as a young child, had a really strong aptitude and desire, a real big hunger for learning. And so even by the age of 13, he actually knew four languages, uh, which is quite a feat for a little little kid. That's Well, he was king. But he, uh, he knew Scots. He knew French, Greek, Latin. Um, so, uh, and he could speak those freely and, and, and read in those uh, so, a uh, young man, and he actually became a, a, a really uh, strong debater, too. He actually would go to the, uh, the town square and debate some of the scholars of his day, even as a teenager. And uh, many times, he'd <coughs> walk away, and the crowd would say that he won. He just had an insatiable knowledge for reading. He ended up getting into some kind of weird reading, too. But he, you know, <coughs> we have our phone. We can listen to our phone while we're doing whatever. But he would actually have people read to him. While he was eating, just had a, a thirst for knowledge there. Uh, so uh, he uh, actually assumed the kingdom at age 13. Uh, in that day, they, they kind of felt that manhood started about age 13 to, to 16. So he actually uh, assumed a uh, king. So he actually led, led his, his country. Uh, and then there were people around him that didn't like him and things like that. So uh, he's just going on, trying to do what he can, leading his country. And he and there's there's debate on what kind of king he was. Um, he uh, he he had made some maybe not wise decisions. Uh, and there's a few titles that were given to him. They called him the wisest fool uh, by some titles. Now we have to keep in mind too. There's uh, a lot of people that look at King James and they throw a lot of stones. Maybe some that uh, are, are falsely thrown at him. So there's a lot of misinformation. You, there's a lot of information out there about King James. But you have to kind of watch uh, what, you, uh, what you're listening to because uh, some of it is, is just false. Um, so uh, he, he actually, uh, um, another kingdom, Great Britain, uh, had a queen at the time, Queen Elizabeth I. And uh, something happened to her when uh, she was young, and she uh, never took any interest in any men. Um, there's some speculation on why that is, but so she never had a, had a husband. She never had any kids, and so she led uh, her kingdom uh, just as a, a, a single queen. And uh, she had people that worked with her, but she never even appointed a, a successor. And at the age of 69, she ended up dying. And uh, this is uh, a contemporary with King James. And uh, she was actually uh, a cousin, a relative of King James. And so uh, there was her right-hand man. Uh, the kingdom was not given to him, so some decisions had to be made. And uh, the Catholics were trying to gain control of Great Britain. And here's, here's, here's the importance here is uh, Great Britain was, as an English-speaking country, needed a king. So they actually reached and, uh, and they actually appointed King James, uh, the, I believe it's King James the Sixth. They appointed him king over England. So he's also, he's called King James the Sixth and King James the First because of his kingship over Great Britain. And so they tapped him, made him king over Great Britain, and uh, that is a very important thing because uh, one of the great things he would do in his life would be to translate the Bible into English. And when we're talking about King James uh, going to be king uh, of Great Great Britain, that was actually, in, in a way, some people felt like it was a slap in the face. So we have high society, uh, Great Britain, 
and the foreign people of Scotland, like the rednecks uh, in Scotland. So it was, it, a lot of people didn't like it. And so uh, there was, even after he assumed uh, kingship over uh, Great Britain, there were several people that fought against that. And uh, he, again, had a lot of drama that followed him into that kingdom too. And there was even a, what they call the gunpowder plot of 1605. And there was a group of people, Catholics, uh, led by Catholics, that actually was trying to blow up the government building with all the, what you would call lords in that day. And so they were trying to blow that whole building up with a bunch of the lords in it. And the main hit would have been King James in that building. But the plot was thwarted, and before it ever got uh, going, and uh, and just something else to add to the list of drama now. And saying, saying drama, like I am, I'm going through a real quick summary of some of the things that happened in King James' life. Like this is, this is really quick. There's a whole lot more that we can add to that. But uh, just a quick. Uh, summary of some of the things that happened. There was a lot of drama in that in that day and age. And so uh, King James, uh, even before he became king of Great Britain, was married to Anne of uh, I forget where she was from, but he had three kids. Uh, first kid died, and uh, he actually wrote a book uh, to his king, which would become heir of it was heir of the throne. And you can actually read that book. You can find it. And he, in, in his book, talked about how he believed that uh, a king should have complete control of all, over all of his subjects and felt really strong uh, about kingship. But he also believed that he was accountable to God as a king. And so uh, there's a lot of things you can say about King James, but he was, uh, was a man that, that did seek God. He... Uh, really had a desire for the the word of God, mm -hmm. and he was a very godly man. There's a lot of things you can say, but overall, you can see when you read the book that he wrote to his son. There's a lot of scripture in it. There's a lot of biblical principles, and he is trying to give his son uh, information on how to lead a kingdom in a godly way. And so, King James really. Uh, um, was a godly man. So we have uh, there in, uh, it is 1603 when Queen Elizabeth died and King James uh, came in uh, and took the throne uh, in England. And not long after that, uh, that, of course, there was a lot of infighting. There was like the Protestants and the Catholics in England and they were uh, very contentious towards each other. And he actually gave them a task, he says. I want, I want the Bible to be translated in English, and that, in in a way, uh, it kind of helped him politically in that they stopped fighting as much against each other and had a goal of something to do. And so, King James he actually authorized the a translation of uh, the Bible into English, and uh, he did this with uh, with a, a lot of passion. Uh, he had a big desire to see the the word of God being able to put into the hands of the people. That was his his main goal in translating the Bible into English. And what a great feat that was! Uh, they had some other translations in that day uh, that were started in English. Some of them that were there, and so he did actually. Uh, they gleaned off of that, but uh, as a whole. Uh, they went to the original manuscripts and actually translated from Greek and Hebrew uh, into English. And there was uh, 47 main translators that he actually had on this team that was commissioned to do that. And when we're saying translators, like these men were not like even average teachers. Uh, you know, in, in a project like that, you would want to have somebody that has linguistic skills that would know a, a language or two. But I think the least of the 47 translators knew four languages. And some of them knew up to like, it was crazy, like 12 or 13 different languages mm -hmm. that yep. they actually knew f fluently. So we're talking about extremely qualified men to, uh, to take on this task.
And so, uh, in doing a specific task like this, it wasn't just translation of a book. It was translation of the Word of God. Uh, King James actually had some strict, strict rules that they were required to follow. And if a man was uh, caught in sin during uh, the, the whole process, several-year process of this translation, they'd be kicked off of the, uh, off of the translation committee and would even possibly face death. That's how serious King James took it. You know, if they were to be, if they were to take on a task such as translating the Word of God, that they had to themselves be godly men. And they were. Now, we talk about 47 translators, and they were taking the bulk of the work on, but King James was actually involved in that too. And so he would constantly be getting... Uh, some of the manuscripts and things and be looking them over and be reading along as they're going through their, their process. Though he was not a, necessarily a translator on the translation team, he did have a part in overseeing uh, the work there. But it wasn't just him either. There were some other scholars in that day that they actually, um, they actually uh, would send copies of the translations to scholars of that day and have them overlook it also and get their input and feedback in what they were doing. So really interesting, uh, Pastor, do you know when the first copy of the King James actually came out? That's a good question. I do not know. 1607 mm. is when the first copy actually came out. So they actually printed copies took these copies, and they, of course, distributed them amongst the translators, and then they sent them out to these other scholars of that day, too. And so from 1605 until 1611, when the final print came out, there was actually seven different, uh, uh, tr uh, seven different productions that they went through, seven different productions. We'll get to a verse here that kind of makes that, that uh, a little bit interesting here but so it was it was not just uh hey look let's take these words and put them together it was uh, a very uh well thought out process so much and 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 they literally wanted to make sure that what when they were done it was 100 percent accurate and so in the king james when you're reading along you see some italicized words right right um, well, when you're translating a language to another language, um, there's things that don't translate exactly. For mm -hmm. instance, a common language that we would know is Spanish. So when we would say something like, the boy ran into the house, that's how we would normally say something like that. But in Spanish, it's backwards. The way you have modifiers and pronouns, and then you have... Uh, tenses and, and things like that that the English language doesn't have. Well, same thing going from Greek to Hebrew. And so even in the King James, you see those italicized words, and that's not, uh, it's not necessarily something that they added, but it, it's something that's there to be put in and keep everything in context. So the, the translators put those italicized words in to show that there wasn't a perfect word to fit in that sentence structure. So that, that kind of denotes there's a little bit of a difference there, but that keeps everything 100% accurate. So where's God in all of this? Well, the Hebrew people uh, were not publishing the Word of God then, and if, if they were, maybe God would have used them uh, as, a, as a language uh, and to get the, the Bible out, right? Well, uh, God in his foreknowledge knew that English would be the trade language really of the world eventually. And so way before King James was even born, God had put some things in the motion. Even though King James' life was chaotic and there was a lot of drama there, that's one of the things that really makes the story of King James kind of miraculous in that God can take a man and produce and, and use him to translate his word. And it's not about the man. The ultimate, it's about what ultimately happened is that the word of God got into the hands of the people. And that's God, what God's ultimate goal was. And it's interesting when you look at King James' life in that light, that God rose, raised somebody up to fulfill his will. 
And as a result, right. we have uh, a word like uh, a verse, Psalms 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Before the worlds were created, it wasn't the King James named then, but God already had his word translated in English. And I believe that is accurately what we would call the King James today. We'll get into more specifics about maybe some other translations here in a minute. But um, interesting verse, Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7. The, word, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And then it says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from generation, from this generation forever. God made us a promise that he would preserve his word. And just part of that picture is King James. I'm not necessarily trying to put King James on a pedestal. He is not God. He's uh, not necessarily even a, a type of Christ. But God used him in a specific way to touch the lives of, we'll say, billions of people. And I am thankful that God could reach down and touch a man like that because God can also reach down and touch a man like me and use me right. and his word to be an influence on, on people around me in my life. So King James, when you talk about him in the grand scheme of things, really isn't as a king known for much in, in his kingdom. And, and he's actually talked down upon uh, by several people. Um, and But... He did uh, have a vision of getting the word of God into the hands of the average person. And, and it happened. And God did a great and mighty work yeah. uh, through uh, King James. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that really is the issue today is, um, you know, of course, we believe in the King James. I'm, and I'll share a few things, reasons why. But I think everybody today, that's a real big issue, is everybody has their favorite version of the Bible. You know, the NIV and ASB, the, now the ESV is very uh, pro predominant. And we hold to the King James still. Um, but why is that? Is there a reason why we would hold to the King James? Uh, somebody may say, well, the other versions are simpler to read, um, which may be true, but there's some specific reasons why we hold to the King James that are very substantive. They're not very, they're not uh, just this idea it's easier to read, but there's, there's some solid reasons why. So let me take you back to the first century when Christ died, the disciples, God gave his word, the disciples um, wrote down God's word, and, and those are called the originals. And we don't have those today. They're destroyed. They're all gone. Uh, the originals are not here. But what we do have is copies of copies of copies of those originals that have gone on. They have been translated into different languages. And over time, what happened is that we found that some of those copies got corrupted for one reason or another. Um, whole passages left out. Words changed. Um, and meanings changed. And if you compare, um, if you compare certain uh scripture certain of these copies with other copies you see they don't line up there some are uh say one thing some say another sometimes the words are changed uh sometimes um sometimes um whole doctrines have been changed um and not just in one area but many other areas which lead us to understand that there was some corrupt copies you know, all throughout history, there's not going to be people that like the Bible. They're going to want it to say what they want it to say. 
And we've, we understand there are corrupt copies that are out there today. So how do you weed out the corrupt copies and find the true ones without, um, without having the originals to go back to? You've got you've to have a way to understand that there is a true word of God because God said his heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So we understand that there is truth, the real word of God out there that has not been corrupted. And so how do we find it? Okay, now here's an interesting pattern of what happened. As the Bible throughout from the beginning of the first century all the way to the 14th century, it began to be copied more and more. It began to be passed out. It began to be translated into other languages. It went all throughout Europe, all throughout different countries, translated in different languages. There were sections of scriptures. There were whole parts of scriptures uh, that were there and around um, all throughout um, Europe at the time. So when we get to about the 14th century, there were some men. One was a man named Erasmus. And Erasmus was a man that was very scholarly. He was very intelligent. Erasmus formed a text based on what the majority of these manuscripts said. For example, if 90% of them said one thing, but 10% of them said another, uh, it was deemed that that 10% was probably corrupted. It was probably changed uh, for some reason over time but the 90% still remained. So under that understanding, there is a belief that God's preserved his word through, those nine, for the, through that 90%, and that those uh, manuscripts were true to the originals, even though they were copies. And so Erasmus traveled much to find many of these texts to travel throughout the world, traveled throughout the known world at the time. He traveled to libraries. He went to different places to research different texts uh, and, and, and look at these copies. And he found, he found and formed a majority basis uh, of a text, a Greek text, that could be used to translate into other languages. Now, that had never been done before. But when Erasmus came, he understood the necessity of having a uncorrupted Greek text that could be translated into all different languages so that all languages could have the word of God in their language. So John Wycliffe came along in about the 1400s, in that time, he began and had a, he translated the scriptures into English. And there was controversy over different things. A lot of, as Brother Brandon said, there were a lot of things going on in England at the time. But when King James took the throne, he believed that there needed to be this solid, true word of God in uncorrupted understanding of what the Word of God was. And the King James translators, you know, a lot of people have this, this problem with the King James say, uh, it's, you know, it was a bad translation. And um, no, I want to tell you something, that's really not true. Um, it's, as Brandon said, it's a very scholarly translation. Um, and, and the King James is, uh, is very, but the problem isn't translation. The big problem is the text in which the translation was translated from. Um, it was translated from the Textus Receptus, the Greek text of Erasmus. And so we get an uncorrupted version called the King James Bible. So we got the text right, but now King James came along and got the translation right. And when the King James writers were actually finished, after Brandon said, in 1611, the whole 
the whole English world realized this was a very intelligent and scholarly Bible, and it was accepted and flourished throughout the whole world. And that is why we hold to the King James Version. Now, if you go to a version that was translated, or I'm sorry, a text in the 1800s, two men, Westcott and Horde in the 1800s, they translated the Bible, but they used some of these corrupted texts. Some of these corrupted texts we know is Sinaiticus, and Sinaiticus was found in the trash can uh, at Mount Sinai. And the reason they threw it in the trash can um, was because it was corrupt, and they realized it, and they discarded it, even though it had produced a lot of work. Yet they knew, um, you know, because it had to be hand-copied, but because it was in the trash can, that was discarded. But Westcott and Hort used it. And can I tell you why? Uh, not only Sinaiticus, but Vaticanus. Vaticanus uh, has uh, corrupted texts in it, issues uh, in it also. And, and so they used five main ones, thinking that the oldest was best. But I want to tell you something. Even though the oldest appeared to be best, um, that it really wasn't true because some of those oldest ones were corrupted. And so a lot of the new versions today are formed off the Westcott Hort text, which, is, which includes Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, um, I think it's Aleph A, Aleph B, uh, five main texts, uh, five main, uh, should I say, either copies or papyrus or um, uh, minuscules or parts of Scripture that formed this corrupt text. And, and can I tell you today, and I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings when I say this, but can I say this today? If you have a version that's translated from a Westcott Hort text. And I want to tell you something. There are corruptions that are in that. There are corruptions that have twisted the Word of God. And when you actually compare King James Version with all the modern versions, you're going to find thousands <coughs> of differences, divergences, some parts of Scripture completely left out, and some parts, even in the book of Mark, Entire verses, entire sections of Scripture are left out. And that, that section in Mark that's left out is talking about the resurrection of Christ. I mean, what more important Christ, uh, subject is more important to the Christian than the resurrection of Jesus? It's meaningful, it's powerful, and so we cannot just say um, that we, we can just accept these versions because they are easier to read, yet there's a deeper problem, and it is the corruption of the text that is in there that makes those passages not line up with the King James Version. So if you're listening to what I say today, I challenge you, I challenge you to listen to what I mentioned to you. Compare your Bibles. Take your Bible, compare it with the King James. I don't have time, or I'd go through so many differences of, of issues where uh, the deity of Christ is, is questioned, where um, even God is questioned in some of the new versions. So I, I don't have time to that. We'll do another podcast on it sometime. But suffice it to say, if you compare your King James with the modern versions, you're going to get a different understanding, and you're going to see things a whole lot different than what they were originally intended to be. That's why we stand on the King James. That's why we hold to it. And can I encourage you, can I encourage you to find a King James Bible, to have a King James Bible in your home. Keep it with you. Let it be your study Bible. Let it be the Bible you read from, because I promise you something, you're going to get some good truth of the Holy Spirit of God working through that version of the Bible, and it will be a great help and a blessing to your life. One more thing, I'm, and I'll be done, is the King James Version is the only version 
that has created two great awakenings in America, the first great awakening and the second great awakening. I mean, preachers would preach in fields, and thousands of people would get saved. Bars would close in towns. Um, uh, families would be put back together. And this was long before modern versions even came out. So um, my dad used to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Good. And I want to tell you something. The Word of God is not broke. Amen. The King James Version is a reliable translation, but even more, it's true to the true majority text. I challenge you to get a King James Bible. Use it in your life. Use it in your home. Use it in your church. It'll be a help and a blessing to you. Good. When I go through the Bible, and um, <clears throat> right now I'm going through a study on Romans and um, on who I am in Christ, um, and it's a, it's a great study, and there's a lot of times where I'll go through the Bible, and I, I may not understand quite right off on what it's actually saying. And you may be thinking, you know, you're going through the Bible, and I don't understand what it's saying. It's so hard to read, as pastors mentioned. Right. And, you know, there's other translations of the Bible who... who um, make it so much easier for us to read, but they also take stuff away mm -hmm. that the King James has. And I was reading um, earlier, there's so many scriptures in the Bible that um, the NIV, the ASV, all these other versions of the Bible have taken out from the King James. And it, you know, in, Re in Revelation, it talks about, you know, don't add to or take away from the word of God. Right. And for me, just in my little, my little brain, you know, for, for people to want to take away from the Word of God and to add to the Word of God, knowing what God's Word says, um, just it's mind-boggling. But I want to ask a, a, a practical question. Um, we have a new person come in, and they've got the NIV. They open it up, pastor's preaching. Um, they come to you, and they, you know, they want to get the King James, so we get them a King James Bible. And they come back next week, Pastor, I've, I've tried reading the King James I just don't understand. How do you how do you help them? What do you, what do you say to them to um, for them to be able to understand what they're reading? Okay, so a lot of the words are simple: the these and the thous and the King James. If you understand what those basic words are, you can get most of the understanding. Um, and if you the, the real issue is getting the spiritual understanding of the passage of Scripture. Uh, and if you, if you can get that, the these and the thous are really of little importance. But I'll, I'll ask you the question this way. <coughs> Would you rather take the chance of getting something that you can understand that may not be right? Or would you rather have to put a little effort into understanding something that you know is right, and I would I would prefer the latter myself. So the question on the on the King James Bible isn't, oh, I want a, I want an easier version to read. No, let's step it up a little bit. It's God's word. Let's open our minds and begin to really think and study the Bible, because it's study that shows ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So that's where I would go. I would study it. I would get in a church where a pastor will open it and teach it and explain what you don't know. You can go to your pastor. Go to a pastor asking him what this means or what um, the understanding of the passage is. He'll explain it to you. And I'll tell you what, there's some passages in Scripture that no matter what version you read, you're going to need a little light shed on it. Um, so I would say, be ready to be a studier of Scripture and not just somebody who has to have Scripture um, so easily understood. Uh, but let's do some study. Let's dig into the Word. Let's, let's understand what's good and right from the true version, rather than taking a chance of something that could be corrupted from a different version.
that to me is a more important issue. Yes. So uh, I'd like to put a little input on this. So uh, one person that actually was living during the, the life of King James was actually William Shakespeare. And it is said that William Shakespeare had a vocabulary of about twelve to 16,000 words. One of the great preachers that we look at uh, when we study great preachers uh, in, in history is an Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Right. It was also said that Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a vocabulary of about twelve to 16,000 words. Well, today, the average American has a vocabulary of about three to 4,000 mm -hmm. words. So whenever we look at uh, the King James, it is written in a little bit different way. And I've heard people say it is the Shakespeare of Bibles. Also heard people say it is written in King's language, which to me is actually appealing. I can be listening to somebody and they'll go into quoting scripture and I can immediately pick out King James because it's the way it's written. Mm -hmm. It's the only one written that way. And that's an appealing thing to me. Right. But overall, when you get down to actual translation and being able to understand it, it's really not that hard. I've heard people say it's on a seventh grade reading level. Our seventh grade reading level has, has uh, changed lately. Um, it's not as good as what it used to be. But when you look at Scripture and what, when you look at the scope of Christianity, what's the goal? The goal is that we, as an individual, would read the Bible and know what God is saying. So when you water that down, mm -hmm. right. what is the end result? Right. means... You may not be as strong a Christian if it's a watered-down version. How about this? Let's just say that you wanted to fix a car, and you had a pretty big process you were going to do on your car. And you decided, well, I'm going to go with this manual because it's a little bit easier to understand. <laughs> but the end result is your car is still broken. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the problem with some of these other translations. They literally remove uh, verses. And we're talking about thousands of words that are different. Well, I want to know exactly how to fix my car. I don't want to be left guessing or at the end be wrong and have to do it over or have somebody else do it. I'd rather just go to the actual word that was written on exactly how to do that, the right process. But here's another thing, too. If God was really shallow and wrote a Bible that was really shallow, then the end result would be shallow Christians. Right. I want a deep Bible. True. Yeah. I want a Bible that explains things in a way that in a way is hard for me to understand. Why? Because that's more of the mind of Christ. That means I have to work at it, but that means the end result is is that I am closer to God. I don't want to be watered down. I don't want to be shallow. I want to be solid and stable in what I believe. And overall, it's, 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 there are concepts and things in the Bible that are hard to understand, but God meant it that way, and that should be for us to learn from and the desire to have that better knowledge, better walk with, with, with God. Yeah, and you know, add to that, there are, there are helps in books and reference tools That'll help you understand every single word in the King James Bible. I mean, Strong's Concordance, uh, I recommend everybody have one. You can have one online, an app online. You can type in a word, and it'll pull up and tell you exactly what that word means. So there's no need to be ignorant about anything. But what do we do, especially us Americans? We are... We don't want to dig and find out a lot of things. We want things easy and quick. I mean, we like McDonald's, right? We like fast food. Take my food, get it, and, and go. And, 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 I, and that's, that's how we often look at Christianity. And I want to tell you, there was a generation before us that didn't take Christianity that way. Um, they wanted to study, wanted to know it. And you know what? We have more reference tools we have Bible dictionaries. 
we have uh, get a Smith's Bible Dictionary. Um, get um, get reference tools, Strong's Concordance, uh, Bible study, word study books. They will help you dig. They'll help you see things in it that really there's no excuse for not knowing the whole Bible and the truth of the Word of God. Um, you know, church is like going to a restaurant. The preacher puts it out there. He feeds you, and you get it. But, you know, Monday through Saturday, you got to cook that meal at home. And that's what the Word of God is for us on Monday through Saturday. Dig in it. Get in it. You'll find golden nuggets in it. There's plenty of reference tools. But can I encourage you, use the King James to help you understand what God wants you to do. You'll be glad you did. One more thing, one more thought. So... Um, the Bible isn't just a regular book either. We're talking about it in its entirety. It is literally the words of God right. recorded down. Before the world was created, God had already figured out what the Word of God was back then and that it would be translated in, into English. All that was settled before the foundations of the world were created. Right. So uh, God already has a settled Word, but it's not just words either. Beyond that, when we get saved, God gives us a Holy Spirit. And you know, one of the uh, one of the tasks that the Holy Spirit is given is also to help us understand Scripture. Mm -hmm, right. And so, when you're reading it, you may come across something you don't understand. And there's still things about the Bible in the Bible that I don't understand, haven't linked together, stuff like that. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's there for that purpose. And sometimes we don't rely on the Holy Spirit. We just say, "Oh, that's hard. I don't understand." Well, why don't we pray? And say, Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord will work through the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts and reveal things to us in all kind of great and miraculous ways. So we have that availability of the Holy Spirit to help us in understanding of the Word of God, too. Yeah. Yeah, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it this way. Every sermon, he allows it to steep like a, like a, a tea bag in hot water. The more it stays in there, the more like tea it becomes. And it's the same with us as a Christian. The more we soak in God's word, the more like Christ we become. And, and, and that is where the true value is. Don't just be a Christian who just wants it easy. Be a Christian who can take a challenge and dig a golden nugget out of God's word. And that is where, that is where your Christian life will flourish and grow. So uh, it's one thing to have just a book and to read it, but there's some specific things that God wants us to know out of his word. And it'd be a, sh a shame for uh, someone to listen to this podcast and to not know one of the main things God wanted you to know, and that's salvation. Right. Um, one of my favorite verses about salvation, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, whereas for by one man sin entered into the world, that one man is talking about is Adam. Mm -hmm. What was the problem? Sin entered into the world. God told him, you can do whatever you want, but eat of that fruit on that specific tree, the tree of the knowledge, good and evil. Well, they ate of the fruit. How big of a deal was he eating a fruit? I ate one this morning. It wasn't necessarily that they ate the fruit. It was that they disobeyed God. Mm -hmm. And disobeying God has serious consequences. And Adam found that out. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered into the world. Through Adam, that sin happened, but wherefore by one man sin into the world and death by sin. There's consequences to disobeying God. We're given the ability to break God's commandments, but that comes with a consequence. The consequence is death. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And what a sad statement that is to think that one day the sinner is going to have to stand before an almighty God and face his wrath. And that's really what happens. And that's what happened that day. Adam ate that fruit. Is he would have to stand before God almighty. But God just didn't leave us that way. Also written in the word of God is a verse such as 
But God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so God didn't just write words on a page and say, I love you. He came to this world and died on the cross. Didn't have to die. He was sinless and perfect. But he chose to die. He gave his life so that the sinner can be redeemed from their sin. There is no shedding. There is no remission of sin except by the shedding of blood. Mm -hmm. And so Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, paying for the sins of the whole world for all of time. And that includes you. If you're hearing this today, Jesus Christ has paid for all your sins. And he's beckoning you through his word. He's calling you. He says, come unto me. Um, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God is offering you a gift. And the thing is, you just have to receive it. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell just like everyone else. But I accepted Jesus Christ's gift of eternal life. And by receiving God's gift, I know that when I die, <clears throat> without a doubt, I'm going to heaven. Maybe you have a doubt today. Maybe it's not settled. <clears throat> well, today you can get that settled. <clears throat> right. Um, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God made it simple. Right. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And you can do that today. You can call upon the name of Jesus Christ. You can repent of your sin and accept Jesus Christ's gift of eternal life. Yes. If you want to pray for us, Pastor. Yes. If you're out there and you are not saved, why don't you open your heart to God right now and pray this simple prayer, genuine in your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need your salvation. I am sorry for the sin and the wrong that I've done to you, but I ask you to forgive me, come into my heart, Cleanse me of all my sin and take me to heaven when I die. And I now put my faith and my trust in you, Jesus, as my Savior. Would you pray that prayer? Would you really genuinely pray it from a real heart? I hope you will. Let me pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time when we can gather talking about no greater subject than your word. Lord, I pray that tonight you turn folks to you and to your, your purpose, your plan, your desire for them. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be solid in the word and settled, Lord, in salvation. And we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for providing that all for us. What we could not do ourselves. You did for us. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise your name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope this was an encouragement to you. Follow and like our podcast to stay tuned for our next episodes.